Janine, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we've done a bit of littering on the moon. Mm. According to Jonathan O'Callaghan's article in the Natural History Museum, as humans, we've left over 190,000 kilograms worth of litter on the moon. Really? Would you believe me if I told you that there's three whole buggies left on the moon? Yes. <laughs> there's various spacecraft and probes. There's a golden olive branch. Oh. There's three golf balls <laughs> and art by Andy Warhol. Oh, no, I didn't know just about that. Just a few. Mm-hmm. But it's not just on the surface of the moon that we've left a mess. Orbiting around Earth right now is tens of thousands of human-made objects with no purpose. They are simply floating around as space junk. Why does this matter? We're going to tell you all about it now. It's episode 23 of Sister Doctor Squared, where two sisters, two PhDs, relentlessly curious about too many things. Yes, welcome everyone. We're super excited about this episode, but before we get into it, Janine? Yes, thank you, Alina. We would like to acknowledge the Torrebal and Jagera people as the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording this episode. We are coming to you from Mianjin country. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. So exciting developments at Sister Dr Squared headquarters of late. (laughs) We were contacted by David Astall and asked to come onto his ABC Melbourne radio show. David Astall is, of course, our favourite word nerd of letters and numbers fame. We had a lot of fun doing that. We're really thankful to David and the ABC Radio Melbourne team for inviting us on and promoting the podcast. And on that note, the last episode on bedtime procrastination was crazy popular. We saw the highest downloads within the first week ever. And it was just really good to hear so many other people outing themselves as bedtime procrastinators. I know (laughs) I'm in very good company. You are. I I have been working on it. I have definitely been trying to be more mindful. It has improved, but it's definitely not going away. Not yet anyway. And maybe I'm okay with that. But I'll, I'll, keep, <laughs> I'll keep plugging away. Good for you, Janine. You keep doing that. And, yes, thank you so much to everyone who supported the last episode and who's had a listen. Super exciting. And thanks to David Astle for having us on the show. Now we have a very much space-themed episode for you. We are excited because for us this is the most left-field topic we've covered so far, I think. So Janine, of course, studied genetics and evolutionary biology, and I studied psychology and public health, squares might be aware. And we've done many episodes on such topics, but now we wanted to cover something really different, something out of this world, quite literally. Mm. And we have a couple of surprises slash announcements in this episode, all broadly related to space. That's right. For one of those surprises, there's a clue in the episode title. Junkie Stardust is a reference. Have you figured it out, Squares? (laughs) Either way, do hang around to hear what we've got in store. All right, buckle up, space nerds. We are go for launch. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So space junk, that is what we are talking about. Now, I'm going to start by giving you an overview of what is space junk and why we should care. 
I am not covering a single study like we usually do. My main source of evidence here is a book chapter in the book Earth 2020, in which there's a chapter on space junk by Alice Gorman, who is, get this, a space archaeologist. Hello. So cool. Yes, Alice Gorman is a space archaeologist based at Flinders University in Adelaide, Australia. Alice is well-renowned in this field. If you Google Alice Gorman, you will find a lot of stuff. Mm. Alice is very cool. And what a job title. I love that. Yeah. Janine, I was actually, I watched a, a YouTube video and in this video, Alice talked about growing up as a kid. Um, she grew up on a farm and she was actually stuck between becoming an astrophysicist or astronomer and becoming an archaeologist. Oh, wow. So she found yeah. a way to meld the two. I feel like she's found a really good resolution to that conundrum. So cool. That is so cool. Yeah, so that is um, my main source of evidence. I also read a great article in the Natural History Museum um, by Jonathan O'Callaghan, who is a space journalist. Mm. I mentioned some of the content from that in the intro. Now, space junk is human-made material or debris that has been left in space after its original purpose is over or the mission ends. Humans are launching stuff into space as part of space exploration and satellite technologies for imagery, weather prediction, internet, GPS, Mm. so many things. Space technology is also being used to hopefully save us from the next giant asteroid screaming towards Earth. Mm, That would be nice. (laughs) Mm. Our exploration and use of space is hugely important for modern society. It's a good thing that we're up there doing research. But in sending these human-made objects into space, we're not really cleaning up after ourselves. Mm. We're kind of messing up the joint with old satellites, rocket bodies, chunks of spacecraft and obsolete spacecraft parts and more. In Alice Gorman's chapter in Earth 2020, she states that as at the year 2020, there were at least 30,000 pieces of space junk larger than 10 centimetres in Earth's orbit. Mm. And millions of pieces smaller than that. Eek. And what what strikes me is that's considering humans only began exploring space in the late 1950s. Good so it's point. only taken just over 60 years to pile up more than 30,000 pieces of meaningfully sized space junk. And it's increasing all the time, Janine. Mm. There are currently thousands of functioning satellites orbiting Earth and thousands more defunct dead ones floating around as junk. Now, a lot of this junk is orbiting around Earth close enough to the Earth's surface that within a few years, it just gets pulled back into the Earth's atmosphere and will burn up on Mm re-entry. No worries. But space junk is being generated at a much faster rate than it is being removed from that lower Earth orbit. And a lot of what humans launch into space is sitting in higher orbits. And those objects aren't going anywhere except continuously around Earth. Mm -hmm. They could be floating in Earth's higher orbit for potentially hundreds or thousands of years. Mm. So what? (laughs) Why does this matter? Why should we care? Well, with the amount of space junk orbiting Earth, there's a risk of these objects colliding with active spacecraft including the International Space Station. If functioning satellites are hit, they could malfunction or even be destroyed. 
which is really bad news since we rely on satellites for so much of our everyday lives. Absolutely. Space junk might also collide with other space junk. And when that happens, the objects break apart and create more space junk. Yeah. And this is happening potentially to the point where even if humans were to entirely stop launching things into space today, the amount of circulating space junk could continue to increase. Yeah. This is known as the Kessler syndrome. And in the most extreme scenario of the Kessler syndrome, there will be so much space junk that whole areas of the Earth's orbit could become completely unusable to humans, meaning we would exploit the space environment so much that we destroy it for future generations. What does that sound like? Yeah, that's exactly what I was just thinking. (laughs) Exactly. Now, there is debate over how likely this is and when we might reach such a Kessler syndrome scenario, but it is plain and clear that as more space junk piles up, there is an ever-increasing risk of collision. And space junk poses a far greater collision risk than natural objects in space. Mm. So what is meant by that is if you, Janine, happen to be floating around Earth's orbit <laughs> and something hits you, it's far more likely to be a piece of space junk than yeah. it is to be a micrometeorite, for instance. Mm-hmm. Janine, have you seen the movie Gravity? Yes, of course I have. Sandra Bullock? Yes. We like Sandy B. What happens in Gravity? Do you recall? Yeah. Sandy B's character gets thrust into space yes. after space junk collides with That's her shuttle. Right. Yes, I do remember that. And in the movie, that space junk was part of a huge debris field caused by an explosion from an old satellite that was mm. shot down by Russia. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, in 2019, in real life, India shot a missile into space to destroy one of its own satellites. It's not the first country to do this. China did the same in 2007. Russia and the USA have too. Mm -hmm. And they did this because they wanted to test the capability, which proved successful. But the international space community was not happy because the explosion generated mass amounts of space junk. Yeah, of course. And it's still there. Well, that's right. So there's genuine concern about the buildup of space junk, especially since companies are working towards what's called mega constellations of satellites. This would be hundreds of thousands of satellites all around the world so that we can have global satellite internet coverage. Sounds great, but a real problem for managing space junk. That's right. And of course, with space becoming more and more accessible as space technology advances and the private sector is increasingly accessing space too, Mm -hmm. we're going to see space junk being generated at even faster rates than we ever have before. Mm. It kind of makes me think, Janine, of exponential growth of space junk. That's right. Right? More and more is going up over time. There's greater risk of collisions, which makes more space junk and so on and so on. Yeah. And everything that's ever gone up is still there. Well, unless it's been burned up on re-entering Earth's atmosphere. That's right. Yeah. So that's why we need to care now about space junk. That's right. What do you reckon, Janine? I feel quite anxious just hearing all of that. (laughs) I do. I do. And, you know, it makes me think we, we don't even have the best track record of looking after our own planet and now we're starting to cause issues external to our planet. 
We've got a lot of work to do and it's really important that we start doing it. I just also wanted to say one of the interesting points that I read about in Alice Gorman's chapter was just a really important point about we refer to these objects or fragments as space junk Mm. and, of course, it is a concern, but what is meant by junk really depends on cultural values. Some of the objects humans have left in space have heritage value. Mm. They are artefacts of incredible moments in history Mm. and they have enormous social significance. Mm, That's a good point. So one could argue that they belong in space so long as they're not a collision risk. And also Mm. a lot of the... mm, A lot of the junk we refer to is still potentially a valuable resource. And Janine, I think you're going to talk a little bit about that. Yes, I am indeed. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you briefly about three papers. The first is from a legal journal, which helps to understand why dealing with this issue is so complicated. And then the other two papers propose some really cool potential solutions. So the first paper is by Navel Gund. It was published in 2020 in the journal Air and Space Law, which I have never looked at before. (laughs) My first paper I've ever read in Air and Space Law. The author discusses how the international space community has worked well before to work on big and complex issues, environmental conservation and climate change being two examples, but there appears to be no real plan or resolution when it comes to space junk. How can we govern space in a sustainable way? We don't have specific, dedicated international laws governing space junk and just general sustainability in space. The author discusses in great detail the many technical and legal challenges to having a united front on this issue. Existing United Nations space treaties do not specify anything about space junk, but there is a stipulation that harmful contamination of space should be avoided. The author also points out that the existing moon agreement states that signatories are not allowed to negatively change the balance of the moon environment through their activities. The United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, set up in 1959, have produced guidelines to promote long-term sustainability of outer space. These guidelines do not address end-of-life disposal of space objects, and they're just guidelines after all. At least in 2020 when this paper was written, and as far as I can tell now... Nothing has been set in international law. There does not appear to be any binding international regulations. So things are effectively unregulated. And we can see that voluntary guidelines are simply not enough as this issue is worsening and it will continue to worsen. Yeah. It's also been difficult for commercial enterprises to get involved because there are few financial incentives to do so. And especially when the laws governing space are unclear, many are apprehensive to get involved. From a legal perspective, it's important to consider who is legally responsible for each item of debris and therefore who might be liable if the object was to cause damage. Mm. So this is my interpretation of this very long and complex paper. The liability usually seems to lie with the launching state of the object. So what this means is that if the US launched a satellite, they are responsible for it from then on. Mm -hmm. But this begs the question, who would be liable if another state or some commercial enterprise inadvertently caused damage while attempting to remove that space object? Mm. It seemed that legally the launching state is still liable and so they need to give permission ahead of time for that debris to be removed and maybe they are reluctant to do so if they remain liable for any damage that may occur thereafter. Right. Can you see the complex nature of this? Mm. Yes. (laughs) 
Apparently, there is legally no difference between an operational space object and an unused and abandoned space object. Yes. And some items are no longer identifiable and being tracked at all. So who is responsible for that? Mm. As you can see, Alina, it's a big mess in more ways than one. (laughs) It is. The author of this paper proposes looking at existing environmental law principles on Earth to see how these might be applied to outer space. In particular, they are heavily promoting the reduce, reuse and recycle waste hierarchy for outer space. So listeners will probably be quite familiar with this. This Mm -hmm. framework was first developed in 2008 by the European Waste Commission. It works to maximise the usefulness of items and consider and then minimise waste at the end of life. Adopting this framework would mean that space debris removal becomes part of the paperwork from the very start. And under this framework, the first step would obviously be reducing space objects. The author proposes changes to the transfer of ownership laws. Currently, objects need to be registered with the UN registry and the object must be identified. Apparently, it is tricky to transfer ownership as control is maintained by the state that registered it and it is tricky for the state that didn't launch it to take ownership and, as I mentioned, the liability for the object remains with the state that launched it. Yeah. Changes to the transfer of ownership and responsibility could really help significantly because this would make it more straightforward to transfer things from one party to another, which would lead to fewer objects being launched as a result. So what we're talking about here is secondhand space stuff. And mm. I am all for a Gumtree NASA edition. <laughs> and for our, for our US listeners, a Craigslist NASA edition. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? It makes so much sense. It does. But legally, it's very difficult. Mm. The next steps would then be reusing and recycling space objects. I'm going to talk more about some potential methods for this soon. But just wrapping up this paper, the author makes the point that international environmental law relies on international cooperation, of course. Mm. And principles of intergenerational equity come into this too. We need to be thinking of future generations now. A sustainable pathway is essential if we are wanting to ensure future equity of space. Yeah. Even though sorting this issue out is complicated by political and legal liability issues... The current principles of environmental law could be extended to really help us move towards sustainability in space. We really need to be mandating disposal and cleanup for existing objects, as well as objects yet to go up. And those states that have contributed more to the problem should arguably bear more of the responsibility for the cleanup. Mm. And long-term sustainability is going to require a collective effort from all spacefaring nations. So I'll now move on to highlight the other two papers briefly, which do propose some pretty cool solutions. Okay. The first is a conference paper from Fung and colleagues. They are based at Purdue University and it was published just this year in 2023. They conceptualise space junk as both a threat and an untapped resource. Essentially, this is a proof of concept paper the way they propose a system that they've termed Okay, Lena, listen to this really carefully and pay attention to the first letters. <laughs> I'm listening. Okay. Space junk aggregation, neutralization, in situ transformation, and orbital recycling, or <laughs> space janitor for short. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love just want that. to give an award right now for that TAA acronym work. I just mm. love it. <laughs> All right, so how Very would good. the space janitor work? 
Firstly, they proposed multiple orbital cleaning drones. The drones would transport the junk to a space station that is in Earth's orbit. This serves as, okay, listen to this one again carefully. You got another one. The recycling hub and base, or rehab for short. Oh, yes. Very nice. Top shelf acronyms, just A+. (laughs) Okay, while at the hub, aka while in rehab, (laughs) there would be retrieval, processing, servicing, assembly, and manufacturing. For example, there could be scrapping and smelting of metals. The end products could even end up in some sort of market platform. So what I'm picturing here is like an online shopping site, Amazon Recycled Space Junk Edition. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But it just makes sense. That's what they mean by an online market, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. And they even suggest that the space janitor could turn into an entire space recycling industry. Mm. The overall goals for Space Janitor would be to reduce debris and recycle useful materials. A lot of money could be saved on future missions if we are able to better reuse existing material and not have to keep sourcing everything new every time. Mm -hmm. This makes sense to me. This is how I live my life, Alina. If I need something. I know. I go to The Verge or I go online or I ask people or I go to the Buy Nothing group on Facebook. Yeah. Or you go to op shops. (laughs) Yeah. As do we. There's so much joy to be had in, in sourcing things that way. You get such a sense of accomplishment. It's good for your back pocket. It's good for the planet. And now we, we're finding that it will be good for space too. It will be. This is very interesting. It is. So, again, this is a proof of concept. This isn't happening mm-hmm. yet, right? But no. they estimate it would take approximately five years to assemble this whole system. That would include launching the core components and then around another year to operationalise things. They map everything out in huge detail in the paper, so details for that will be on our website. The cost is estimated at around $10 billion to build the structure. As a comparison, the International Space Station costs $150 billion to build. Oh. Mm. Um, wow. But they, of course, acknowledge that a full cost-benefit analysis would be prudent. Well, I'm thinking just on that, a cost-benefit analysis, I'm thinking about that just more broadly across this whole issue. Mm. When you think about all the money that is being spent now and that will have to be spent in future to deal with space junk, Mm. and the Natural History Museum article talked about the International Space Station having to perform hundreds Mm. of collision avoidance manoeuvres every year, Mm -mm -mm. and they cost a lot of money. Of course. Well, it's like in healthcare, prevention is always going to be cheaper than cure. Exactly. Dealing with climate change now is going to save us a lot more money than having yes, to deal if, with the ramifications of not dealing with it. It's correct. If you don't care about the environment, you might at least be persuaded by the savings. <laughs> That's right. The economic <laughs> sense it makes to yeah. deal with climate change. That's right. Now, So, yeah, so that's the second paper. I'll move on to the final paper that I looked at. This one is by Mary Appen and colleagues. It's from 2019. And in this paper, they're proposing a method to convert space debris into solid fuel or artificial soil. How cool is that? Yes. They suggest collecting the debris using what's called a space broom. Again, this is also something that has been conceptualised and proposed. It doesn't seem to be operating just yet, as far as I could tell. They would then sort the debris in the International Space Station Space Lab using an automated optical sorter. This involves cameras and or lasers. Then they would convert metal scraps, so aluminium, for example, into molten metal and then convert that into powdered form of that metal. 
and use the powder of different metals for making propellants for the International Space Station Space Lab. Mm. And they even show how one kilogram of aluminium scrap metal could be converted into 0.96 to 0.98 kilograms of aluminium powder. So very little loss of resources, and they do think this is viable. They also talk about silicon from solar cell debris. This could be converted into silicon powder, which could then be applied to artificial soil. And this could be used for plants that are growing in the International Space Station lab and help those plants grow. And they mention that they could capture gases produced from all of these processes, and these could also be used for later propulsions. And I did think it was worth uh, pointing out that the International Space Station, the ISS, in case any squares don't know much about this, this is a satellite between 330 and 435 kilometres above the Earth, which is habitable. It is a joint project involving the US, Russia, Europe, Japan and Canada. There is an in-space research lab and I had a look right now in 2023. There are seven people up there and you can follow them on Twitter at ISS Research. That's cool. And, Alina, do you know about this? There is an amazing app called the ISS Detector Satellite Tracker where you can watch the ISS when it travels across your sky. You get an alert when it's going to be coming over your region and you get enough time so that you can run outside and have a look. And it is really cool how quickly it goes across the sky. Cool. And apparently the ISS orbits the Earth 16 times in 24 hours. So it travels through 16 sunrises and 16 sunsets in what we would be experiencing as one 24-hour day. How cool is that? That is very cool. It also hurts my brain just a little bit to try mm-hmm. and understand. Yeah. <laughs> the cleanup methods are really interesting. I also read about um, using harpoons and nets to capture and move ah. space junk. So it's like fishing for <laughs> space junk. And there's a great YouTube video of that in the Natural History Museum article that we will include in the show notes. It's very cool to watch. All right, Squares, now we are really excited to move into something a little bit different. Squares might recall that I teased a segment in our initial promo episode all about what can we learn from David Bowie. Alina, you remember this. Yes, and this is what we refer to with the clue in the title of this episode. Yes. Junkie Stardust referring to Ziggy Stardust. Alina needs full credit for that. Well done. Thank you. (laughs) Well, this has been percolating in my brain for many years now and we are ready to launch. (laughs) Alina, you already used that gag at the beginning, but I I like it. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, And, of course. We get one each. Okay. And, of course, Bowie was quite obsessed with space, so it did make Mm. sense to link it in with this episode. Absolutely. And a new segment needs new theme music, right, Janine? Of course it does. (laughs) So Janine asked the amazing Adrian Diary if he could put together a David Bowie-inspired musical snippet. Mm. Of course, Square's... We'll know Adrian is an amazing sound designer and composer who put together the theme music for this podcast and who helps with audio mastering. Just on that, people might not know the theme music for our podcast is inspired by Björk, the Queen. Oh, that's right. We did ask for that, didn't we? You might pick up some musical elements in that theme tune that are inspired by Björk's earlier work. Mm-hmm. So that gives you some insight into the genius of Adrian. Mm-hmm. 
But for this, we wanted something David Bowie sounding. So introducing the new segment, What Can We Learn From David Bowie? Genius. <laughs> so good. I love the lyrics. If you heard, it was sisters, doctors, squares, and you rockers too. Put on your thinking caps and join the crew. <laughs> I could not love it more. I couldn't believe there were lyrics. It just blew oh, me away. Oh, it's amazing. Adrian is a supremely talented human being. Yes. But wait, there's more. After we received that and were blown away by that, Adrian sent through another option. <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> Science. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. First one, let alone the second one. I can't. I can't even choose my favorite. I love them both. Yeah, it's hard. I I think basic scientists out there will particularly like the second one. <laughs> the lyrics there were: conduct experiments and analyze the data. Do it again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Too good. So good. Thank you so much, Adrian. Thank you, Adrian. It is so amazing. So this is our David Bowie music to to open the segment, which, Janine, let's actually get into the segment now. Go. (laughs) Yeah, we will, of course, be featuring the music every time we do this segment. So Bowie, the king, what a human being. We've always been really fascinated by him. And I've been really starting to explore him in his life over the past few years. And I thought it would be really fun to just share what I'm learning. There is so, so much we can all learn from him and his time on the planet, and I thought I'd kick off this segment by just sharing a short but I think very powerful quote. Alina, are you ready? I'm ready. Aging is an extraordinary process whereby you become the person you always should have been. Mm. Alina, what does this say to you? That we are born with a potential and Mm. it takes years of experience wisdom, knowledge Mm. over time to, as he says, become the person we're meant to be. Yeah. I feel like it harks back to some of what I shared in the Muck Update episode, if people remember that. Just the importance of self-acceptance and authenticity. and Becoming, oh, becoming your inner feral bogan. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I remember you talking about. That's exactly right. But just how this, it just feels like it's getting easier as I get older, Um, really getting at the core being that is you. As you strip away cultural expectations and conformity, there it is. There you are. And I just. And stop caring what others think so much. Yes, that's right. And I just love getting older. How about you? 
Yes, there is a certain freedom mm. that comes with age mm. and a certain calmness. Yeah. I don't enjoy um, back injuries that I come know. with age. This is it. But, you know, I was thinking about this, yeah, like you started, yeah, the body's breaking down but all these other things getting better. And overall <laughs> yeah. I prefer this. I wouldn't go back and be younger. I wouldn't do it. Oh, tumultuous. Nah. Primary school. Ooh. Yeah, awful. I would not do it. Puberty. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bowie certainly seemed to get a lot more comfortable in his skin and in who he was as he aged. Mm. You may remember his fondness of creating and inhabiting other characters. Yes, of course. And he, Ziggy Stardust. He, he did this when he was younger. This sort of stuff seemed to fade away, yeah? Yes, Yes. Um, and, you know, you may have seen the references to him as the musical chameleon. And, yes, Ziggy Stardust was an alien sent to Earth that Bowie mm-hmm. inhabited. That's right. Because he he sometimes felt like an alien, right? Yeah. But what I've also learned is that he didn't, I don't think he was comfortable exposing who he really was. So he was inhabiting yes. other characters and then he felt okay about getting up on stage as them. Yes. Yeah. But actually he was expressing Parts of himself. Yes. Through these characters. Yes. yes. But it felt safe because he wasn't. Exactly. He wasn't putting himself up there. No. Really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So so that will, that will close the end of What Can We All Learn From David Bowie segment one. And I think we should hear that music one more time to close up the segment. Alina, can you put it again? Okay, which one would you like? I don't know. <laughs> I like them both. I think it needs to be squares and rockers. Yep, go. I just love it so much. I know. Now, I just have one more thing. People know we are massive sci-fi fans, right? I think mm-hmm. they do. In mm-hmm. particular, sci-fis with a space-related mm. storyline. Yeah. So what better episode, and this is another one of our surprises, what better episode to tell everyone about such a new sci-fi that's coming out this year in 2023? I am massively in a squaring <laughs> over this feel. <laughs> It's called Space Time, that is space forward slash time. This is not space junk, Janine. This is space gold. No, Yes, let's make sure that is not what Mm. people take away from this. No. No, no, no. no. Space gold. Listen to what it's about. And I quote, When a group of scientists developing an engine for interstellar travel see their funding cut after a breakthrough leads to a fatal disaster... The disgraced team must resort to criminal activity to finance their operation as they rebuild their space-time device. <gasps> Jesus sounds good. Yes. I'm so this excited. This is a sci-fi mind bender and one of the themes it deals with is the true cost of scientific discovery. Ooh, Hello. Yeah. So good. Now, Space Time is an Australian-made feature film, Go Oz. Yeah. Yes, though it has an international cast and crew. It's directed by Michael O'Halloran, who also wrote the script together with Adam Harmer. It's produced by Michael O'Halloran, Adam Harmer and Jai Hogg. Now, 
The original music mm. was written by composer and sound design extraordinaire Adrian Diary. Yeah, who we've just been rapping. <laughs> <laughs> and Adrian worked with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra to give this film its incredible sound. Let's have a listen. Without perseverance, progress is impossible. When we hit a hurdle, it doesn't mean the race is over. We set out to achieve something, Liv. We spent years with that plan in mind. If we roll over after just one fall, we were never going to succeed in the first place. Yes, it is space time coming soon. We can't wait. You must go to spacetimemovie.com to see more and follow at spacetimemovie on socials to stay up to date. Congratulations to our Adrian and Mm. Michael and everyone involved in this amazing film. I'm so excited. We'll keep squares up to date. Of course. All right. That was a fun episode. Yeah. We hope you've enjoyed this space-themed ride with us. Thanks for joining us. If you want further details on the sources we've showcased, you can head along to the Sister Doctor Squared website. You can join us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please buy us a coffee via Ko-fi. The links to that are on our website and on our socials. And please do write us a review to let us know what you think. This really helps other squares find out about the podcast. We love the reviews. They are so much fun for us to read. We do. We really appreciate them. So please send one in if you feel so inclined. And thanks to everyone who has done that. Champs. Yeah. All right. I'm going off to listen to some David Bowie now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go and sing Adrian's version of (laughs) David Bowie's music. He should release a whole album. Science. (laughs) I reckon he's got it in him. <laughs> he probably does. <laughs> he's amazing. He is. As you've said previously, he really lifts this podcast. He does. The quality of this podcast is greatly enhanced through Adrian's involvement. Thank you, Adrian. What a champ. Okay, thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye.